Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Do me a favor, welcome those that are not in this particular room. Maybe they're joining us online. Welcome. Or they're at one of our other campuses, or they're viewing or listening to this somewhere down the road. Would you just welcome them into this time, into God's Word? Sometimes you have to make sure that you're putting first things first. Heard about this guy that wanted a pet, so he went to the pet store. And he saw the perfect pet, a parakeet, sitting there in his cage. And he asked the owner of the pet store, does this bird talk? And the owner said, well, absolutely he talks all the time. He said, great, I'll take him. How much is he? He said, $10. He said, wow, that's amazing. I'll I'll take that parakeet. And he said, oh, but you're going to need a cage. He said, yeah, yeah, of course. How much is the cage? He said, $25. I said, wow, well, that's still not bad, $35 for all of that. I'll take it. I can't wait to get home and hear him talk. He bought the bird. He bought the cage. He went home, and for a whole day, not one sound. That bird didn't talk. So he went back to the owner of the pet store. He said, hey, man, I bought this bird. I bought the cage. He hadn't said a word. What's up? He said, you mean to tell me he got on that swing and he didn't say anything? And the guy said, wait, wait a second, what, what swing? He said, oh, you've, you've got to get this swing if you want him to talk. He said, well, how much is a swing? He said, $10. He said, give me the swing. Took the swing home, he put it in the cage. For a whole day, he watched that bird swing, but not a peep. Not a sound came out of that bird's beak. And so the next day, he went back to the pet store. He said, what gives, man? This bird hadn't said anything. He said, you mean to tell me that he sat on that swing and looked in the mirror and he didn't say a word? He said, excuse me, what mirror? He said, oh, he likes to sit on the swing and then look at the mirror. You got to buy the mirror. He said, how much is the mirror? He said, $10. He said, give me the mirror. So he bought the mirror, he went home, put it in the cage, the bird sat on the swing, he looked in the mirror, not a peep. Next day, he went back to the pet store, you know how this is going to go. He said, this bird ain't talking, what's the deal? He said, you mean to tell me, he sits on that swing, he looks in the mirror, and then he climbs that little ladder, and he doesn't say a word. He said, you haven't said anything about a ladder. He said, oh, you've got to have the ladder. He said, how much? He said, $10. He said, give me the ladder. He went home, he put the ladder in, the bird sat on the swing, he looked in the mirror, he climbed the ladder. You guessed it, not a peep. Next day, he went back to the pet store. (laughs) He said, he's not saying anything. The owner said, you put that little parakeet on that swing. He looked in the mirror, he climbed that ladder, and he rang the bell, and nothing happened. He said, you didn't say anything about a bell. He said, oh, you you got to have the bell. He said, how much? $10. Give me the bell. He takes the bell home. He puts it in the cage. The bird sits on the swing. He looks in the mirror. He climbs a little ladder. He rings the bell. He says something, and then he flops over dead. Next day, he took his dead bird to the pet store. He said, man, I put this parakeet on the swing. He looked in the mirror, he climbed the ladder, he rang the bell, he said a few things, and then he just dropped over dead. 
I want my money back. He said, well, what did he say? He looked me in the eyes and he said, they don't have any bird food at that pet store. (laughs) Sometimes you got to put first things first. And so the disciples came to Jesus. It's recorded in Luke 11, 1. They're asked, teach us to pray. So Jesus said, and we have it recorded in Matthew 6 as well as Luke 11, when you pray, then pray in this way. And we've been talking about the first things that Jesus said as he taught us to pray. He began with our position in prayer. We are God's children. We come as members of his family. Then he talks about God's perspective as we pray. He is our Father who is in heaven. He he is the one who was. He is. He forevermore will be. So he sees things differently than we do. He sees with great perspective. And then we begin to make our petitions in prayer. And last week we learned that first request, that first petition that Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Cause your name to be hallowed. Cause your name to be sacred. Have you prayed that this week? Have you prayed that God's name would be great, that his name would be sacred in your life? This is the key that unlocks the power to everything else in prayer. Because when you pray that God's name is sacred, then you're positioning yourself to live as a citizen of his kingdom. You're setting yourself up to live according to his will, to have your daily needs met, to have your sins forgiven, to be delivered from the evil one. Oh, but you have to begin in that right way. You have to put first things first. In these next two petitions, Jesus continues in that frame. He focuses us first with these three petitions on the glory of God, and then we turn to the needs of man. And so I want you to get one overarching truth as we dive in today. You cannot effectively ask for God's provision or protection in your life until you first acknowledge his rule and his reign in your life. And that's clear by the way Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew chapter 6. He said, and when you pray, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses or our debts as we forgive our trespassors or our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Today we focus on three phrases. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when you hear those three phrases, there are three things that jump out to you that may be surprising. The first one is this God's kingdom hasn't fully come. Now, 
If you don't dig in deeper, that may be confusing because you think, wait a second, isn't God king today? Isn't Jesus the king of kings right now? What does it mean that his kingdom hasn't fully come? The second thing I hear when I hear Jesus teach us these words is I hear that his will is not always done. And that can be surprising too. Doesn't God always get his way? Isn't he a sovereign God? Isn't his will always accomplished? And then there's that third phrase. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us that we can experience a bit of heaven here on earth. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it great to know that that which we long for, we may live out even in our current existence? I want to unpack these, but in order to understand this, we need to seek him in prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray. And perhaps if you feel so led, you would just stretch out your palms and stand open-handed. We're asking God to teach us, to speak to us, to fill us today. And maybe as we get to the end, you might join me in that model prayer, our Lord's Prayer just as he taught his disciples. Let's pray together. So, Father, you are in heaven, and you see what we do not see. And that gives us great comfort, and that also causes us to live with a sense of conviction because you know our darkest secrets. So, God, here's our desire today. Cause your name to be holy in this place. Cause your name to be holy in our lives so that your kingdom might fully come and your will might be realized in us. So yes, Lord, teach us those things we don't know. Give us those things we don't have. Conform us into the Imago Dei that you created us to be, the image of God. Make us more like you, Christ. Lord, I pray that my words and my thoughts would be pleasing to you. God, I pray that this would be the day of salvation for someone. That in your sovereignty, you would call someone to come into your kingdom and to live under your rule and reign. And then, Lord, I pray specifically for that person that is struggling with your will. May this be a day of divine acceptance. So, Lord, as we continue, teach us to pray, even as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Remember that one thing. You cannot effectively ask for God's provision or his protection until you first acknowledge his rule and accept his reign in your individual life. So there's two parts of that, and I want to divide those as kind of our secondary themes today. Here's the first one. God desires that we acknowledge his sovereignty. 
If you're a parent, you understand this in, in a bit because you've had those moments where you walk into the room and your child is so obsessed with what they're doing, they're not really even aware of your presence. Or maybe in a workplace, you've walked into a, a group of coworkers and, and you feel like they don't see you. Or in the classroom with fellow students, you want to be a part of things, but you're not recognized. You're not acknowledged. God wants us to acknowledge Him, and He wants us to acknowledge His sovereignty. To understand that, you have to look a little bit beyond our culture here in the U.S. In fact, I heard about a pastor who was visiting the U.S. for the first time. And as he was visiting from England, his host decided to educate him on our history. And they began to take him in New England to some of the sites of the Revolutionary War. He went into a store and he saw several signs that contained the slogans are the mottos of those days. Slogans like these, no taxation without representation. And then he saw one that says, don't tread on me. And then he saw a sign that really disturbed him. It said, we serve no sovereign here. You see, our nation was founded really with a pushback away from the sovereignty of the royal family of England. And so from our foundation, this culture, the one so many of us were born into and that we're all living in today, has at its core this desire to not acknowledge any sovereignty in our lives. That pastor said that when he saw that sign, he realized that ultimately... The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ would have a hard time being absorbed into the hearts and minds of the men and women of the United States of America. You see, at the core of acknowledging the sovereignty of God is the question of who's sitting on the throne in our individual lives. There is in every heart a throne. And perhaps you're sitting on your throne. Someone suggests that if we're sitting on the throne in our lives, then Jesus is still on the cross. If Jesus is sitting on the throne, then we've taken up our cross. Who's sitting on the throne in your life? What was Jesus saying when he began to talk about the kingdom? Jesus was crying out to the Father that His kingdom might come in fullness. And this idea of the kingdom of God is seen all throughout the New Testament. You can't read about Jesus without hearing about the kingdom of God. 157 times in the New Testament, you have this principle of the, the kingdom of God. What is this? It's just what it means, what it sounds like. The governance of God. The administration of God. I like to think of it this way, the rule and the reign of God. So who's king of your heart? In our country, though we pushed back, we're fascinated by the royals. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So if there's a royal wedding, we want to watch it. If there's a royal funeral, we're looking at the pomp and the circumstance. In fact, 
I love visiting the city of London, and one of my favorite things to do is to stand and to look at the Royal Palace, Buckingham Palace. One of my favorite pictures ever of my wife and I is when we're sitting on a seesaw right in front of Buckingham Palace. And you can look at that picture and see the person that is heavier in that picture very, very clearly. Um, Why this obsession with the royals? I think it's because of this reality that we were created by the king to be a part of his kingdom. We have this longing within us, a, a longing that can only be met when Christ is on the throne of our heart. So the kingdom of God, as one person has said, is God's people in God's place under his rule and his blessing. And yet since Genesis 3, we've seen this battle of the kingdoms, right? Adam and Eve are born into this kingdom of God, the kingdom that is known as Eden, but because of the fallen angel, Satan, in the form of a serpent, Adam and Eve give in to temptation and they sin. And you see the battle begin. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of heaven. And ever since Adam and Eve, every one of us and everyone that's ever been born, were born into this kingdom of this world, separated from God. We're kingdoms in conflict. That's why we struggle. There's chaos around us. That's why we have division because our heart is telling us to go one way and our, our mind is saying, no, try this other way. And you see that throughout history, even throughout biblical history. In 1 Samuel in chapter 8, God has been the king of his people representing himself through the prophets, right? And yet the people cry out to God and what do they ask for? They ask for a king. We want a king just like everybody else. And you and I, that's what we do. We, we long for something other than God to be in control, to be the sovereign in our life, whether it's another person or our relationship or our career, our acceptance, our approval, or just ourself. And yet through all this, God is declaring his kingship. Listen to Psalm 47 too. For the Lord most high is awesome. He's a great king over all the earth. And then it says in Psalms 146.1, I will extol you, O my God, O king. I will bless your name forever and ever. So all throughout the Bible is this story of God's desire to rescue us from this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man, and to take us into his kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We call that the grand narrative. And the good news is, like all good stories, we know how it ends, right? We've read the back of the book. So in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 1 and verse 4, John says, grace to you and peace from him, that's Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits before the throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over what? All the kings, the kings of the earth. And then in Revelation 17, in verse 14, it says, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords, and He is King of kings. 
And then in the last chapter of the book, as we hear it sung and and that great musical masterpiece handles Messiah, what does it say? And he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of God. And so in the New Testament, it gets real. We're first introduced to John the Baptist. And what does he say? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all throughout the ministry of Jesus, you see this desire that we become a part of his kingdom. So John, the ba- or John in 3, Nicodemus comes to him and says, Jesus, how, how do I get into this kingdom? And Jesus says, you, you have to be born again into the kingdom. You have to come into my family. And so all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus inaugurating or beginning this kingdom. And yet he doesn't consummate or end the kingdom. So this kingdom of God is, is kind of strange. It's, it's an already and a not yet, right? Think of it this way. You've heard, perhaps, if you've been in church, that when we talk about being saved salvation in our Christian life. Really, it's referred to in three phases, right? I was saved as a child. That's my salvation. I am being saved even as a man. I'm becoming more like Jesus. That's my sanctification. And one day, I what? I will be saved when I spend eternity with God in heaven, that's my glorification. And in the same way, we see Jesus saying, hey, the kingdom of God has come, and yet we should pray that the kingdom of God will come. He's teaching us that we can live as citizens of the kingdom while at the same time crying out for the king to come. So what will it look like when the king comes? Well, The miracles of Jesus are snapshots of the coming kingdom because they're snapshots of heaven, right? In heaven, there won't be death. In heaven, there won't be sickness. Joni Erickson Tata broke her neck in a diving accident and she became a quadriplegic. She talks about the many discouragements that she faced, but she said one of her most depressing thoughts was when she began to realize that she could no longer kneel in prayer. And then she writes, then I remembered the kingdom resurrection. Just before the party gets going in heaven, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on my resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to be on my feet dancing. Can you imagine the hope that gives someone with a permanent spinal cord injury? Can you imagine the hope that this gives even to one who is a manic depressive? No other religion promises new bodies, a new material universe. Only in the gospel of Christ do people hurting like me find such enormous hope to live. No more crippled legs. No more broken hearts. And if that's not enough, this is detailed in Revelation 21. It says, I saw the holy city, the the new Jerusalem, the kingdom, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, the kingdom. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, the kingdom. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know about you, but I've cried a lot more these last couple of years. But in the kingdom, he wipes away the tears. And there'll be no more death. Even this week, one of our dear friends, a faithful part of our family, lost his young brother to this awful illness. But in the kingdom, there's no more death. No more mourning or crying or pain. For the old things are passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new in the kingdom. What do you need God to make new in you? Does your zeal for your faith need to be made new? Do you need relational wholeness? Does your marriage need to be made new? Does your passion for your vocation or, or perhaps discovery of a vocation, does that need to be new in your life? Then that's why we pray that His kingdom might come. We're longing for heaven here. Jonathan Evans, the son of Tony Evans, describes how he spoke at his mother's funeral after her long ordeal with cancer. He was saying that he, it was as if he prayed, but God didn't answer his prayer. He asked God to heal her, but God did not heal her. And then he said, as if God told him, just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean I didn't answer the prayer anyway. He said God concluded, he concluded that God did answer their prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. That's understanding the kingdom. Let me just break this down in a few different ways. When we understand the kingdom, we're distinguished from our enemy. Our battle lines are drawn. It's clear whose side we're on. We understand that everybody we see around us is not our enemy. Those that look differently are not our enemy. Those that vote differently are, are not our enemy. Those that disagree with us are, are not our enemy. But there is an enemy, and he roams to and fro, and he, he seeks to steal and to kill and destroy. But when we understand the kingdom, we're distinguished from our enemy. Andrew Murray said, the children of the Father are here in the enemy's territory where the kingdom which is in heaven is not yet fully manifested. What's more natural than that we learn to hallow the Father name and should cry with deep enthusiasm, thy kingdom come. So when we battle the enemy, some of you are battling the enemy today, we cry, thy kingdom come. When we understand the, the enemy, we declare our allegiance. We're, we're saying, Oh, King, we are yours. Let your kingdom come in me. Rule and reign in my heart. 
This is the core of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's bending the knee. It's it's yielding our lives to Him. It's crying out as we used to sing, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after your will. Have thine own way, Lord, yielded and still. Spiris Zodiades said, no other person or no other power or no other position or no other possession should be allowed to rule in our heart. God must be the absolute and uncontested sovereign. It's imperative that his kingdom come in our hearts before it can rule in our world at large. Heaven must be in us before we can be in heaven. God's kingdom must be in us before we can be in God's kingdom. It's saying, oh God, our allegiance is to you. That's why just after this in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus could say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added and given to you as well. Have you declared your allegiance to the king? Are you living as a loyal citizen to his kingdom? Eric Raymond says, we cannot cry out your kingdom come while we're still promoting our own kingdom. Sin is an expression of disloyalty to the king. It's trading crowns. It salutes the flag of self over the flag of Christ. What flag is flying in your heart today? When we understand the kingdom, it also determines our agenda. Because our allegiance has been clear. It affects what we do, right? So we've prayed, Father, let your kingdom come in me. And now we pray, Father, let your kingdom come in this world. John Calvin put it this way. He said, it's the church's job to make the kingdom visible. If you are a Christ follower, you exist to promote his kingdom here. Now let me explain what that means. That means the priority of your life cannot be the kingdoms of this world. That that means your focus can't be the kingdom of your race. Your focus can't be the kingdom of your political party. Your focus can't be the, the kingdom of your income source. Your agenda is determined by the king. That means we surrender our lives to his will. That means we put our yes on the table, right? We, we sign the blank page and say, wherever you lead, I'll go, Father. Your kingdom determines my vocation. Your kingdom determines the priorities of my family. Your kingdom determines how I spend my resources, my time, and my dollars. Your kingdom come means kingdom is first to me. But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We do what Megan and Harry did. You know what they did? They opted out, right? Y'all saw that in the news, right? The prince saying, no thanks. We don't want to be a part of the royal family. And when we don't live with our allegiance 
and our agenda set by the King of Kings, that's exactly what we're doing. God desires we acknowledge His sovereignty. And when we do, His kingdom begins to come in us. And then that positions us for this next phrase. We can then begin to pray, Thy will be done. J.I. Packer reminds us that the purpose of prayer is not to make God do my will. That's going to come as a surprise to some of you. That would be magic, he says. The purpose of prayer is to line my will up with the heart of God. That, he says, is true religion. So when I pray, I don't just kneel and go to God with my laundry list of wants, the things I want Him to do for me. When I pray, I first begin saying, God, as my King, is the one that I am loyal to, is the one who sets my agenda, let me accept Your will in my life. God desires that we accept His will. And our acceptance comes before our asking. Remember, all these three petitions are about the glory of God. Cause your name to be sacred in my life. Let your kingdom come in my life. Let your will be done in my life. Why? Because that's exactly the way it's going to be forever. That's the way it is in heaven. In heaven, we see God's pure and perfect will. Imagine what your life would be like if you had an army of angels that just would do whatever you ask them to do. Well, we know one who does. <laughs> He's the creator of all that is. He's the ruler of the universe. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And right now, at this moment, in the midst of division in the midst of disease and death, in the midst of confusion, and in the midst of chaos here on this earth, God's perfect will is being accomplished in heaven. And that same God says that we can pray, let your will be done here, just as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means we come to a place where we accept His will. But we understand that acceptance is not just resignation. We don't live as fatalists who just say, oh, whatever will be, will be. No, we recognize that when there's a conflict between my will and God's will, the will of the king must always come first. Is that taking place in your life? The number one thing I'm asked about in ministry is this concept of God's will. So maybe you need to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. And to understand that, you need to understand how the Bible speaks about the will of God. First, there is the declared will of God. You may think of this as the perfect will of God. It's what's described in the book of Genesis at the beginning when it says, God spoke and the world came into existence. It's what the prophet's talking about in Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old? I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. God's declared will or his perfect will is what happens when any sinner experiences salvation. In Ephesians 1, it says, In him we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things, according to the counsel of his will. 
His declared will, his perfect will is that which is going to happen regardless of what takes place in this world. And according to God, the reality is that those things that touch our lives have filtered first through his will. Sometimes even his declared will. We know this because of conversations that God had with our enemy. Conversations about Job. Remember that? Satan came to talk to God about Job. Conversations about Peter. Jesus tells Peter, hey, Satan has requested to sift you, to wreak havoc in your life. And he allowed it. The declared will of God. But God's will doesn't always happen. So that lets us know there is such a thing as the desired will of God. I think of this as his preceptive will. Not perceptive, but preceptive. It comes from that word precept, the teachings of God, the things God gives us that he wants us to do. Think Ten Commandments. Think great commandment. Love God passionately. Love others intentionally. This is the will of God. This is what he desires for you. But guess what? The sinfulness in us, because we're born into this kingdom of man, this kingdom of darkness, sometimes we don't do the things God asks us to do. And we know that because Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's why C.S. Lewis would say there's ultimately two kinds of people in this world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, okay, thy will be done. So we're living our lives trying to navigate this declared will of God. He woke us up this morning. That was his will, right? We're here in this place following his desired will. Which of these is Jesus teaching us to pray? Well, the clue is found in that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Because what's happening all the time in heaven? Both. <laughs> he, he's not only getting his declared will, he's getting his desired will. So he's saying, pray that the Father would give you that ability to accomplish what he desires in your life. But we have this problem. A kingdom conflict. A kingdom chaos. So we're like a little child that has a broken toy and is obsessed. A parent comes in one day with some great news. You're not going to believe this. Someone has passed away and you have an inheritance. You, my child, are now a millionaire. What is the child obsessed with? <laughs> the broken toy. They, they can't gauge that concept in their mind. And the Bible tells us that we have this inheritance with, from God that we are a royal priesthood, that we are children of the King, and yet we look, with the, we look at the brokenness of this world and it consumes us and we get overwhelmed. We focus on the externals 
instead of that internal reality. And yet God wants us to see him simply for who he is. That's the core of some of my favorite verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, your will. In all your ways acknowledge him. See that he's sovereign and he will direct your path. It's beginning to pray as Tim Keller says that God, I will obey you whether I like it or not. God, I will trust you whether I understand or not. And that can be hard, can't it? God, how do I accept your will when my loved ones have died? How do I accept your will when I've lost my child? How do I accept your will when I don't understand what's going on around me? Well, I just determined that you're going to be first. Let me make it real practical for you, just give you a few suggestions. You want his will to be done in your life? then make a decision to give him the first hour of your day. What if the first thing you did every day you wake up is just give an hour to God? Give him your best. Spend time in his word. Spend time in his prayer. And then do as many of you are doing today. Give him the first day of your week. Prioritize those things that he's asked us to prioritize. Give him your best. And then give him your first fruits the best of your resources, the best of your time, and the best of your dollars, just as his word commands, give him your best. And as you give him your best and practically demonstrate that you're putting him first, see if his kingdom does not begin to be more clear in your life. Even in the dark moments. And we have a God who understands this. Because we've heard the words of Jesus. So Jesus said to Pilate, I know they call me the king, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so Pilate allowed him to be crucified. And they put a a crown, a crown of thorns on his head. But before that moment, Jesus demonstrated Humanity. He prayed to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what he said? In Luke 22 and verse 41 it says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus not only taught us to pray, Jesus prayed this prayer. As the King of Kings, he knelt in agony. His pain was so great that it says he sweat drops of blood. And yet he prayed, not my will, Father, but your will. And then it says, in the midst of this, an angel came to him and gave him strength. That's what I want you to understand today. That when you, 
when you fully embrace this prayer, when you begin to say, God, let your kingdom come in me, let your will be done in me, then whatever you face, though you may not like it, though you may not understand it, though you may not want to obey, whatever your face, he will strengthen you, he will come behind you, and he will make his presence known. Why? Because we know how this ends. What I referred to before is in Revelation chapter 11. The kingdoms of this world will one day end. But the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, He shall reign forever and ever. I want us to pray, but please understand this truth. You and me, we cannot effectively ask for God's provision or even His protection until we first acknowledged His rule and accepted His reign in our life. So let's do so even now. Would you pray with me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to challenge some of you to really look at where you are in relationship to the King. There's some of you here that have never truly submitted control of your life. You're not a citizen of His kingdom today. You're still separated from Him. But that's not God's desired will. God's desired will was made clear as Jesus prayed that prayer because He did go to the cross. He did suffer death. And He did die for you and for me. But because of that, you can be a part of His family. You can be a citizen of the kingdom. But you have to trust Him. You have to give Him control. You have to step off of that throne room in your life. And you have to raise the flag of Christ. So maybe you need to pray that right now. And you don't need me, but if you need help, I'm here. And so maybe you would pray this prayer. Maybe you would just pray, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I know you desire that I be saved. I see that's why you died. Thank you. I receive your forgiveness. And today I'm going to follow you. So here I am. I'm going to do like your word says. I'm repenting. I'm turning. I'm following you. I'm a child of the King. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed, but there are some of you that prayed that prayer, and in the next few moments, in a time of worship, there'll be pastors from our church that are just standing 
at the front of every room where we're gathered. And, and those pastors are there. If you want to pray with them, if you want to tell someone that you began that relationship with Christ, you, you do that. You come forward. It would be our joy to pray with you. But there are others of you. You've got that relationship with Jesus, but you're struggling with this, your will be done part. You're struggling accepting what he's up to. In just a moment, after I pray for you, I want you just to listen to the words of this song and ask God to let you trust his will in this very moment. And again, there'll be pastors that are standing waiting to pray with you if that's something you desire, something you need today. So Father, we've studied it. Now we pray it again. May your kingdom come in us. May your kingdom come through this church. May your kingdom come in our lives, in this world. Lord, give us the ability just to accept your will as we acknowledge your sovereignty. Lord, I pray for those that are grieving. I pray for those that are hurting. I I pray for those that need a miracle, and maybe in their physical life, maybe in their marital life. God, I, I pray that we will live in such a way that even when we don't understand, we trust you and your will will be done. And Lord, we know that that will be for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.